first Bible reading today. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Liz, and I go to the 10 a.m. service here at Naramburna. So please join me as we just pray and commit this time again to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And may we open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits today as we listen to your word and to, as Jenny brings it to us in more detail. So today's reading is from Hosea, and it's basically the first chapter. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, the son of Berai, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Goma, the daughter of Dibim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore him a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, it shall be said to them, Children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, You are my people, and to your sisters, You have received mercy. Thank you, Liz, for reading that. Um, that was chapter one and through to two verse one. Does anyone have the, do that? you have your Bibles with you? You've got your phones with you, so usually that means you've got your Bibles with you. I'm gonna be covering chapters one to three, uh, but I thought it'd be good just to hear from chapter one for now. So if you have your, your hard copy Bibles, as I, I like to call it, and I like this one, this style, um, have it open there and we'll be going through ch chapters uh, one to three. Um, and if you have your notebooks, that your little note um, notelets, uh, there is an outline. And uh, sometimes people like to take notes and otherwise you just start, you know that I'm going to come to an end at some point. Uh, I'll follow the outline uh, fairly closely. There's a movie that uh, was on, has been on this year, I remember seeing it on TV, 
Uh, it's a movie that I suspect pretty much all of you will have seen. Uh, it's not one of my favourite movies. I like the more gritty type. This is certainly not a gritty, uh, dark movie. Um, it's uh, been on every year, I think, uh, ever since it was made in the 60s. Um, do you want to make a guess at what it is? I mean, you can kind of see from the outline. What do you think it is? Sound of Music, yes. Sound of Music. It's, uh, it's a musical. It's a love story. It's, you know, it's got all the elements of, of, with a happy ending. And uh, it is a very popular movie. Uh, um, and actually, every time I watch it, if I watch bits of it, I think, yeah, you know, I, I start to sing along and, you know, enjoy um, the movie for what it is. As I was reading through Hosea, and as I was thinking about what is this book about, I found myself humming along to the song, How Do You Solve the Problem of Maria? Now, why was I doing that? I think it was partly because I kept thinking, what's the problem here? What's the, there's a problem here. Uh, we have a problem. How do you solve the problem? And that's how I kind of got into the how do you solve the problem like Maria. Now, if you know the movie... Uh, you'll know that Maria, that was a song that was in the movie because uh, she was uh, someone who was a bit out of step. Um, but she was endearing and she was lovable and she had, you know, um, a sweet disposition. Um, she, yes, she did things that she shouldn't have done and she didn't do things that she should have done, but she was a very lovable character, something, a very sweet and, and well-meaning person. When you come to Hosea, the book of Hosea, and you think about Israel, the people of God, uh, there's nothing that, that is similar to Maria. Um, it's not just a matter of Israel being slightly out of step with God. It's not that at all. It's, um, it's not just uh, Israel being endearing but, um, you know, and lovable and out of step. There is a problem here in this book, it's part of God's word, that is much bigger than that, and it is the problem of sin. Now, sin, you know, we hear about sin, and it's not a very popular thing in our society, but it is sin that is, for Israel, the people of God, it was deep in their collective heart. Israel had rejected God. It was like Israel was shaking her fist at God. She had uh, rejected the one who had chosen her and loved her. And when you think about that, she's rejecting the one who loved her, but the one who is righteous and holy and transcendent. That's the God we meet in Hosea. We meet the holy God whose love had been rejected and we meet the holy God who agonizes over this. One writer puts it this way, that it's, it's like we're reading about unrequited love from God's point of view. Ultimately, though, the book of Hosea answers the question, when we, when we sing the song, How Do You Solve the Problem of Israel? As we answer that, we'll come to understand about his love. So here's a question, I think I've got that there in your notes there. How does God love a people such as this? How does he love a people who are shaking their fist at him? What is God's love like? How does he love a wayward people? Keep that in mind 
as we dive into this part of the Bible. And as we dive into this part of the Bible, it's always important to understand how this fits with the wider context. Otherwise, we will misunderstand. So, what's the big picture? Well, firstly, uh, you might be familiar with the term minor prophets. The minor prophets are the last 12 books of the Old Testament. Uh, they're called minor, not because they have minor importance, obviously, uh, but because they're generally and, and relatively shorter. Hosea is actually quite a long one. It's one of the longer ones of 14 chapters, but some of them are one chapter or two chapters or three chapters or four. So uh, it, Hosea is part of the Minor Prophets. Um, historically, the Minor Prophets occupy the whole, well, from the 8th century to the 4th century BC. Um, and they, it, they're in order in the Old Testament according to when they occurred historically. So in other words, Hosea, the book of Hosea and the events of Hosea um, occur earlier than, say, Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the, the Old Testament. So Hosea is set in the 8th century or the 700s BC and Malachi is set in the 400s. And we don't always know when the events are set but often the prophets start with a list of kings and we can work out where the kings were when they reigned when we go through one kings or two kings and so on. And so you'll see in Hosea uh, and what was read for us a minute ago that we have a list of kings in Israel and in Judah. And that will help us to place ourselves in around the, the mid-700s. So that's historically what, where this book is set. Um, also, we're, we're in the time when there were two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. They divided at about 1000 BC. So now we've got two kingdoms and Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom. So we are going to be spending our time in the northern kingdom of Israel. This is before they were exiled to Assyria. When you read through Hosea, you'll read about Israel. That's generally about the northern kingdom, sometimes about the whole of God's people. You might read about Ephraim. Ephraim was the largest tribe of the northern kingdom. That refers to the whole of, of Israel as well. And then you might read about Samaria. That was the capital. So that's just to say when you go home and you're, you're you know, desperate to read Hosea for yourselves, uh, you'll notice that uh, sometimes it's Ephraim, sometimes it's Samaria, sometimes it's Israel. just need to look at the context to work out uh, who uh, Hosea is speaking to. But generally it will be the people of the northern kingdom. So what we have, big picture, is we have the Lord, Yahweh, speaking through Hosea to the northern kingdom in the 700s BC. And just one other word about big picture. When you look at the whole of, of the 14 chapters, you could divide them up into two parts. So chapters 1 to 3 that we're looking at first, and then chapters 4 to 14. We'll be looking at chapter 11, so don't worry, we're not going to be looking at chapters 4 to 14 in the second talk, uh, but we'll be looking at one chapter that represents something of, the, of uh, chapters 4 to 14. So that's, that's the big picture of Hosea, just to kind of get us into the, the zone. Here's that question again. 
what does the love of God look like, especially for a people who have rejected him? Keep that in mind, and we're going to think of the, uh, how to answer that as we go through these chapters, 1 to 3, uh, by looking at a marriage story, parts 1, 2, and 3, and a, new other part, a few other uh, headings along the way as well. Well, let's start with uh, a marriage story, part 1, and that is uh, chapter 1, verses 2 to 9, and I'm gonna just going to read again uh, verses 2 to 3. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Whoa. Did you expect that? That's confronting language. I mean, uh, if you have an NIV, and I, I chose the ESV deliberately because the NIV, in a way, kind of softens it. In a way. Adultery, adulterous. Yeah, it's still, it's still an ugly picture. But whore, whoredom. Whore, I mean, it's, it's really quite confronting and it's repeated there. It's not pretty. But I think that sometimes our 21st century sensibilities, we do want to soften things. It's, it feels too, too raw and it feels too shocking. I don't know whether you've heard the name Francine Rivers. Um, I'm not a fan, um, but I haven't read her book. So, you know, in fairness to her, you know, it's a critique when I haven't read them. The reason why I'm not a fan is because I think what she does is she creates a, a, a book that's, that's based on books of the Bible. And uh, it's kind of historical fiction, but, you know, biblical fiction. Now, what she's done with Hosea, and I think there's a movie, I think, and I think the movie's called Redeeming Love. That's a great title for the book and a great title for, a, for the movie if it's on Hosea because it is about redeeming love. But what she's done with a character, which I think uh, she's called Angel, the Goma character, the wife, uh, you know, the one who is described here as prostitute, adulteress, or whore. Um, in, the, in the book and the movie, I think uh, Angel is um, quite a victim um, and quite abused. And so all that to say, when we want to kind of soften things, just take note, what is God saying? What is God saying here? We are, we are looking at a, a, a very dysfunctional family, to say the least. Um, it's a dysfunctional family which is illustrating this dysfunctional relationship between Yahweh and his people. And Gomer is illustrating that in how she is being portrayed. It's messy. It is a messy, messy family, and we're going to meet them now. So verses 3 to 7, let me just read verses 3 to 4. So the, 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 that, those, those were the instructions that the Lord gave Hosea. So he went, verse 3, and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu 
for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the people of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So the first child that they have is a little boy named Jezreel. Now, if you were to go to the 8th century top five boys' names, uh, you won't see Jezreel there. I actually, I noticed in the papers um, earlier this year that they have the top five names of children. Um, let me, let's, see, let's see whether there's any here in this, um, this church. Oliver, Noah, Jack, William, Henry. Many of those there. And the girls, uh, Olivia, Amelia, Charlotte, Isla, and Ava. Yeah. No Jezreels there. And, uh, and if you had a similar list in the 8th century, you wouldn't have Jezreels either. You know, I think that sometimes parents, you know, need to think a little bit more clearly about what they're going to name their child because of how it will sound later. You know that ad for dare-flavoured milk? And um, a man has, is handed his newborn baby, and um, the nurse says, and, and Mr. Murray, what would you like to call your son? And he said, oh, I think let's call him Callum. And then he, he imagined little Callum Murray in the playground, and then he imagined little Callum Murray, you know, as a teenager, and then little Callum, and Callum Murray getting married, and each time Callum Murray, Callum Murray. Yeah, no, let's call him Jack. And I think that sometimes you need to actually think about how the name's going to sound. Jezreel, if Hosea thought Jezreel, he would have thought that's not a good sound. And the reason it's not a good sound is because Jezreel was, was referring, it had strong associations with a really awful event in the history of Israel where there was a massacre. So, in effect, Jezreel, being associated with that massacre, in effect meant bloodshed. So what the Lord was saying to Hosea was, call him bloodshed. Little, little bloodshed. Again, very, very confronting. Child number one. Child number two, verse six, she conceived again. And bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I'll no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but it doesn't say she bore him a daughter. That's not just a typo. Uh, the, there are definite issues with the fact that Hosea was not her father. So we have a problem there. And then the name that he is to call her is No Mercy. Now, I, I don't know whether you know any little girls called Faith or Hope or Patience, uh, but I, I'm pretty sure you won't know anyone called No Mercy. Again, uh, this is, these are painful reminders of, of, of the message that God has for his people. I will no longer have mercy on my people. And then we have another little child, verse 8, when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. Notice again, not bore him a son, bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people and I'm not your God. Whoa, not my people. 
throughout the history of God's people that was always central to their identity. You are my people, I am your God. That was, that was central to who they were. And now, symbolised in this little, little boy, the reality that these people are not my people. Here's this happy, not family. Goma, the adulterous wife. Uh, little Jezreel, or bloodshed, as they call him. Uh, little no mercy, and uh, little not my people. What a family. I mean, so dysfunctional. A family that symbolized in a really confronting way the relationship between Yahweh and Israel. And if you were to stop reading there, and we close the book, and I said, thanks very much for having me, and we'll go for afternoon tea. Oh, that'd be so depressing. But we're not going to close the Bible there. And in fact, you know, the, the, this is what the Bible does. It, it never ends there. It never ends with no mercy and, and not my people. In Hosea, and in fact throughout the whole of the Bible, we have judgment and grace sitting side by side. And you can almost get whiplash when it happens because you're reading these pronouncements on the people of God and then wham, you know, it changes, changes tone immediately from hopeless to hopeful. So that brings us to chapter 1, verse 10, through to 2, verse 1. So we've just read about this family, and then, yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. How about that? It, just in one verse, it just shifts completely, upside down. That, that great reversal, not my people, now the children of the living God. People who are in the context of their sin, no mercy, now receive mercy place of bloodshed and terrible injustice will be a place of greatness. It's extraordinary, really. When you think about it, when you read it, it really is quite a, a whiplash that we get. But that's how the Bible flows. The reality of sin and judgment and the beauty of grace that sits right there. And when you think about the promises that we read in these verses... They take us back to Genesis. Did you notice that they'll be, the children of Israel will be countless, just like God promised Abraham? Or they take us forward to books like Isaiah, who speak about an Israel that will be overflowing with righteousness. And of course, I don't know if you noticed, but it takes us forward to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is described as the head and God's people under one head. So yes, there is judgment here and it is confronting. God is a holy God. But we have this beautiful picture of 
this reversal in the light of his grace and what God will do for his people. So we have a marriage story, part one. We have a reversal of fortune. And now we come to chapter two, and we'll just deal with chapter two briefly, but we'll think about it in terms of what was she thinking, verses two to 13. Uh, I don't know, if you're ever looking for cards, I know Father's Day's coming up, and there are these funny cards of awkward family photos. Have you seen those? I find them really funny. Or even if you go back into old photo albums and you look at what you were wearing 20 years ago or what your hair was like in primary school. I mean, I'm thinking, what was mum thinking when she, you know, put my pigtails tightly on my relatively big head? I think I did have a big head. Um, And you think, what was she thinking? And there's a photo that I I want to show there. have this feeling that that child is going to say something like, Mum, what were you thinking when you put this pumpkin on me? <laughs> but in a sense, chapter two is, could be said, could be, uh, have the title, Israel, what were you thinking? Let me just read a few of these verses. Verse two, plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife and I'm not her husband. It's not clear whether we're, we're talking, we're hearing the children of, of Goma talking to Goma or whether it's Israel talking to Yahweh, uh, sorry, to um, addressing Israel. Verses 7 to 8, she shall pursue her lovers but not overtake them and she shall seek them but sh- shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband for it was better for me then than now. And she didn't know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine and the oil and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. What was she thinking? What was she thinking going after other lovers? And verse 13 makes it clear who is speaking here, Ashley. Verse 13. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burnt offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. So now we know who is speaking. It is the Lord. What was she thinking? She forgot God. I mean, it's a scary thing to consider that you could do that. And... I don't know about you, but it feels dangerous. It feels dangerous to forget God. What's going to come next when we read that? Well, it might surprise you. We have another moment of, of whiplash because we come to chapter 2, verses 14 to 23. And this is what comes next. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. And bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And I will sow for myself in the land and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Wow. Again, we have this picture of of the wayward Israel going after other gods. Forgetting God. And God says... Therefore, behold, I will allure her. 
We didn't see that coming, did we? Or did we? Again, it's that great reversal that we find in the Bible. A reversal that defies reason, but speaks of grace and speaks of compassion and restoration and love. That's what I love about God's word. What we read, when we read whatever part of the Bible is, we learn something about God. And what we learn here is that he is the God of grace and love. He restores. That is who he is. And that brings us to Marriage Story Part 2, Chapter 3. Verse 1, And the Lord said to me, so he's speaking to Hosea, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So that's Hosea's brief. I want you to go and I want you to get Goma, even though she's with someone else. I mean, that's humiliating. That is embarrassing that he has to go after her. But but it's such a powerful illustration of what God does with his wayward people. And that's the point. So if we're confronted by what Hosea has to do and the people of God through all, all generations will be confronted by that, that's the point. How does God love a wayward people? That's how he loves them. That's how he loves us. So when we ask that question and when we think about these chapters, when we ask the question, how does he love? Well, he loves with a love that is proactive. The Lord says in chapter 2, verse 14, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness. I will speak tenderly to her. That is the love of God. What does that remind you of when we see this proactive love of going after? What what comes to mind? Prodigal son, maybe? And the father who sees his son from the distance. And what does he do? He doesn't wait at the gate and say, well, he'll come to me. I I shouldn't have to go to him. No, no, he rolls up his clothes and he runs to his son. That's the picture we get here. A proactive love of going after a wayward people. How does he love? He loves with a proactive love. He loves with a love that is not blind. It's not like he's saying, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you live. It matters. It matters to him. He's not loving with a love that is kind of, uh, it doesn't matter how you live. He doesn't turn a blind eye. There are consequences. He loves with a love that is not blind and he loves with a love that feels and is costly. It costs what God is doing here. And that he loves with a love that calls for a response. Israel is to come back, to return, to respond. And I wonder whether when you think about these points of proactive, a love that is not blind to the consequences of sin, a love that is costly, a love that requires a response, I wonder what's coming to mind. Because 
I hope what's coming to mind is the amazing reality of how the threads that run through Hosea, the threads that run through God's word, take us to what God has done for us ultimately at the cross. When you think about the cross of Christ, when you think about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you think? It is proactive. Jesus came into this messy, dysfunctional world for us. It is costly. It is powerful. It deals with the consequences of sin and it calls for a response. I reckon when Peter wrote his letters to the Christians who were dispersed throughout the land, throughout the countries, I feel like he was reading Hosea. This is what he says to the people when they're facing struggles, when they're questioning, you know, what does it mean to live for God in a, in a time that is hard. He says, uh, and I think this is in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, you, he says, are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Listen to this. This is Hosea. Peter writes, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's like he's taking it straight out of Hosea. And he's, he's speaking about it in the context of who we are and what we have and who the Christians in the first century were in the light of the cross, in the light of what Jesus has done. And a love that, that calls for a response. And I would want to say that the response is basically, and I often land here whenever I speak from God's word, trust and obey we can't save ourselves. We can't solve the problem of sin. But our response is to trust and obey. You know, when I think about the love of God here, it, it makes me want to take a breath. Or it makes me want to go, whew, that's good, isn't it? That's, that's amazing, that love that he has for us. The holy God who sees everything who sees my heart, the sin in my heart, and he loves me. And when I think like that, what that will do for me is it'll help me to hold things of this world a little bit more loosely. Because I know who I am in Jesus. And this life is not all that there is. And this life doesn't ultimately bring satisfaction. And when I think about the love of God that I know in Jesus, it makes me more thankful. I think so often my day is not filled with thankfulness. It's filled with more cries for what the next things that I feel I need or I'm worried about. And I forget to say thank you for the ways that he's already working. But when I think about who I am in Jesus and I think about the love that I read in Hosea that is true and has ultimately true in Christ, it makes me want to say thank you to the one who loves me. And sometimes when we don't know or feel that love, what we can do in response 
is to ask the Spirit to help us to understand in greater measure. That's actually praying a prayer that is right up God's alley. To ask to understand his love more. That the Spirit would speak to us and help us to understand in a deeper way this love. How do you solve a problem of Maria, no, Israel, no, sin and me? Yes. How do we solve that problem? Well, we can't. We can't. There's nothing that you can do, there's nothing I can do to solve my problem of sin. The wonderful reality is that we don't have to because we know the one who has. It's been done. Where Jesus said at the cross of Christ, it is finished. What a relief. Let that trickle down into your hearts. I, I know you get really good teaching here. You know it. Allow it to sink into your hearts and understand it. Our response, trust and obey. And keep reminding yourself of the love that you know, that I know in Jesus. That's my prayer for us today. Let me pray for us as we finish up this session. Our Father, we do thank you. The big truths, the truths that we know, and our Father, we pray that we would know them in increasing measure. Your love for us in Jesus. The reminder in these verses of the fact that we are chosen and we know your mercy, that we are your people most wonderfully through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for this time and the opportunity to open your word together as sisters in Christ and be reminded of these things. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, my name is Claudia. Uh, I go to Camray in the morning and it's lovely to be here um, together. I, I love a women's day. Um, I love seeing 